Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and my guest this week is Bill Konigsberg, CEO of Horizon Media. Horizon has just reopened its doors to staff after yet another COVID-19 shutdown and is ready to get people back into the office on a hybrid schedule. As Konigsberg puts it, you can't compete with rolling out of bed in your pajamas, but people do miss being together. Konigsberg is at the helm of Horizon as it navigates a complex and shifting media landscape for clients, from the end of cookies to the rise of the metaverse to all things shoppable commerce. These changes are informing the agency's strategy from its data platform blue to upfront negotiations. In this episode, Konigsberg also talks about how Horizon is helping clients navigate the crisis in Ukraine and where he sees growth coming from in 2022 and beyond. Hi, Bill. Thank you so much for joining me today. How's it going? Hi, Allison. It's going pretty well. It's a beautiful day here in New York City. I know you're here as well, so that's nice. And uh, we're busy, which is great, and I'm healthy. So what else do I need to ask for? Sounds good. Can't complain, right? And you're in the office today, right? You were just telling me a little bit about your uh, your back to the office plans. Yeah, we um, opened up this week again. As as everybody, we've had starts and stops. We opened up this week, and we we're currently on a cohort basis. So each day, three days a week, we have certain groups come in to collaborate with each other. Uh, office in New York here holds two thousand people. We'll probably have during the course of the next three days eight hundred come in. So it's exciting. And I'm feeling that people have this thirst to kind of come in and refuel off each other. And and uh, Zoom fatigue uh, has, has set in. So I think everybody's happy to be in an open environment and, and get to collaborate with each other. Yeah. Is it like, how is your staff sort of feeling about coming back after all this time? And, and what's the what's the sort of schedule that, that you have laid out for them? Yeah. So in, in terms of how they're feeling about coming back, Listen, you cannot argue with rolling out of bed in your pajamas and, and you know, getting, you know, no commute to work. And, and I think everybody kind of has enjoyed the no commute. But on the other side of the coin, I absolutely feel that a large majority of the organization um, misses the energy, the interaction, the culture, the collaboration, the refueling off of each other in terms of being with each other and seeing each other. Um, I don't think that has to be every day of the week. So I think that uh, as of now, we're open three days a week. We're going to go to four days a week in April. And then uh, assuming that things continue to, to go in a positive direction with the COVID rate significantly, significantly being decreased, we will probably go to five days a week uh, starting in, in June. And we'll be on a hybrid basis where my guess is that, that, that you know, People will come in around 50% of the time. I believe in uh, self-persuasion, not dictatorship in terms of telling people they must come in. But, you know, I think you've been to our offices and they're just beautiful and, and just a wonderful place to collaborate. And I think that that people will want to come in and we're going to create more in-office events to to continue to create inspiration and excitement so people will come in and, and, and get to meet their uh your co-workers. You know, over the last two years, we've hired so many people that haven't met each other. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, culture was such a big part of Horizon's DNA. And a big part of that culture was our space that we created here down in Tribeca. Right, right. I think you're right that people want to be out and, 
you know, be a little bit more social. The pajamas are great, right? But then after a while, you're kind of like, I miss my, uh, I miss my wardrobe. <laughs> I miss, I miss yeah. seeing people. You know, totally. And and Elsie, I have to tell you, there's no, you can't. You know, you're on a Zoom call. You, you don't have the energy, you know, playing off of each other. You can't refuel off of each other during the day for a cup of coffee or walking through the halls and feeling the energy of a company and, and the heartbeat of a company. And that's that's what's been missed so much with, with Zoom. Mm-hmm. And I think people really, not only do I think they want it, I think people need it. I think they need it from a mental health perspective in terms of that interaction, that sociability, that, that, that connection that you have with people that creates a, a culture of belonging, which is what Horizon has always been about. Mm, for sure. So I guess talk about how, as CEO, you've been able to maintain Horizon's culture through the past couple of years and then how you see it evolving as it becomes more of a hybrid style of working. Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And I have a great answer. <laughs> uh, you may or may not know this. I think a lot of people in the industry, this has kind of got around. You know, first of all, go back to March 2020 when the world fell apart and nobody knew what the future was going to be. Um, economy shut down. Advertisers uh, completely battened down the hatches, went off the air. You know, 50% of our business uh, kind of stopped for, for several months. And we were in some really, really, really scary, dark, unpredictable times. And I decided right then and there that, number one, I was going to put people before profit. And we were not going to terminate anybody, regardless of the situation. And as you knew, the, like a holding company competitors terminated thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And I made a bold statement early on that we weren't going to do that and that we were going to weather this storm together. The second thing I did was I started to write a bill daily. Every single day at 530, I sent a note to the company that, that talked about what was going on inside our walls. Uh, some of the things that were going on outside of our walls, I celebrated what uh, positive effects we were having on our clients. I celebrated anniversaries and babies being born. And I ended each bill daily with an evening thought of inspiration uh, because we were in some really, really dark times. And I have to tell you, as the company had been growing and growing and growing, one of the things that I was frustrated about was losing touch with the masses of the organization. And all of a sudden, I started sending out these bill dailies. And Alice and I have received hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails back in those early days, just people connecting with me. And I started to receive emails of my employees' parents Mm. connecting with me about how wonderful this is. And I, for a period of of just about two years, every day, 5.30, I sent out a bill daily. Now I've I've now reverted to a, a bill Monday, but that was a way for me to keep the organization connected and centered and communicative and transparent and trust. And then obviously I held multiple, multiple town halls uh, in terms of the state of the company and, and what we were doing and where we were going. And that little powerful email every night at 530, you know, just became so much more powerful than I ever dreamed of. And it sounds simple, but to do it every day is, you know, takes takes work. Mm-hmm. But the receptivity that I received 
you know, w- w- was just amazing. So that's, that's how I kind of kept the company together. And then we did a whole bunch of things from a culture perspective. And obviously, you know, not only were we dealing with the pandemic, we were dealing with the social injustice situation across this country. We were dealing with a ridiculously divided country from a political perspective. We were dealing with an economic meltdown. And so we tried really, really hard to have open forums and discussions and create you know, opportunity for those people who were who were really suffering through this outlets for emotional support and help and, and communication. And, you know, it was just some of the parts. And that's mm-hmm. how we did it. And I think we've come out a lot stronger for it. Well, now we're in another dark situation, right, with what's going on in Ukraine. And I know Horizon is a U.S. company, but you must have some international global clients, how are you sort of talking to your staff about the situation, helping clients? Like what's the, how are clients reacting and how is Horizon supporting them? So very timely question, obviously. And and yeah, most of our clients are US centric, but we do have a global network, Local Planet, uh, we're the largest member of, and we do have an office in Ukraine. Uh, So our our prayers and thoughts are, you know, with all of them, obviously that office is shut down and and you know what's going on over there. We held on um, uh, Friday of last week a company-wide meeting just for people to talk about what is happening in Ukraine, their feelings, how it's affecting them, why it's happening, the impact that it's having you know, on them emotionally and, and, and psychologically. And we didn't know we didn't know where it was going to go, and it was it was really an amazing, touching session, over an hour of hundreds of hundreds of employees sharing their perspective, their feelings, their thoughts, their their concerns, and it was very therapeutic for everybody. And it ended with a meditation session as well for those who wanted to participate. And as a company. Uh, we are um, uh, making a donation to an organization by the name of CARE. And I want to make sure I get that correct. But we're making a donation. And anybody in the organization who will make a donation, we're going to match that as well. So that's one thing that, 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 we're, that we're doing you know, from a financial perspective. And then offering any other support you know, than anybody needs. We have employees here that are Ukrainian. We have employees that have relatives in the Ukraine. We have employees that are, that have Russian descent. So uh, they're suffering as well, because this is not about the Russian people. This is about the Russian government. And it goes back to Allison, caring, communication, listening, um, dealing with, uh, you know, an agency of belonging and, 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 and now, you know, the outside world has come into the inside world of businesses. There's no more, you know, leave the outside world at home. For those people who think that that can be, it just doesn't happen. Because what happens in the outside world affects your psyche during the day inside. So you have to provide support for all of these situations that come up. And I think we as an organization have done a, a you know, a really, really good job in terms of doing that. Right. And at the same time as supporting employees, you have to navigate almost like a crisis situation for clients, right? Like in terms of brand safety and, and where their ads are running, what has like Correct. the reaction been from clients and how are you sort of 
you know, helping them navigate the media landscape? Yeah. So, so twofold. Um, one is uh, obviously sensitivity to, to being around news. And whether that's uh, online or whether that's uh, traditional linear, you know, staying away from the news stories because there's a negative connotation and you're seeing carnage and all of that. So one, guiding our clients in terms of environment from that perspective. And then, uh, you know, being very careful in the social world, both from a search perspective and a paid social perspective in terms of brand safety and where we're showing up and environment and, and, and just ensuring that we have all of our brand safety measure, measures in place so that, uh, you know, situations like what happened with Applebee's, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm sure you saw that on CNN with the split screen uh, digitally and they had right next to, you know, bombing, which was just, you know, someone was totally tone deaf on that. Uh, just ensuring that that, 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 that doesn't happen. We, also have fielded, uh, you know, a, a study among consumers with regard to um, how the current situation is affecting either their shopping habits or their feeling about brands in general. I haven't seen the report yet, but I'll be happy to send you a copy of it when you have it. So we're doing a lot of consumer research, consumer listening you know, understanding if there are going to be shifts in behavior, you know, based on what's happening in the in the world today. Mm, yeah, I mean, obviously, no one wants to be the next Applebee's, right? That was a terrible placement. Yep. But what are you talking to your clients about supporting the news coverage um, and and the responsibility there in terms of having an economic model to support reporting on what's happening in Ukraine? So. You know, keep in mind that 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 most of these organizations that are reporting the news, you know, whether it's CNN or or whether it's Fox or whether it's NBC or whether it's CBS, you know, we're spending a ton of money within those groups. Mm. So if the money is not necessarily going, you know, to 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 a CNN story, the money's going to Warner in general, which obviously supports the larger organization. So the money is still flowing that, you know, that hasn't stopped. And for clients who might be shifting out of news, they're not just taking that money off the table. They're reinvesting, they're reinvesting Mm -hmm. that money. So I don't, I don't think there is a, I do not believe that there is a going to be a, you know, a financial strain uh, because everybody is, you know, everybody is pulling out of news. Uh, you know, because that money is going to be replaced elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, clients, you know, do want to support journalism. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, you, 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 you don't want a very upbeat ad or comical ad, you know, or, or lighthearted ad, uh, you know, appearing right next to or right out of an adjacency where, you know, you're seeing a building bombed out and you're seeing children, you know, slaughtered, slaughtered. Yeah. You, know, you just can't do that. No, for sure. So let's shift gears a little and talk about the evolving media landscape, which I know Horizon is navigating every single day. Um, We have cookies are being deprecated in Chrome. We have mobile ad IDs disappearing. We have 
you know, new platforms emerging like gaming and the metaverse, as well as linear TV ratings declining. How is Horizon navigating all of this for, for its clients and then also training staff to, to be equipped to handle this shift? Yeah. So, you know, and I don't want to, I think that there's, you know, a term, Allison, which you're very familiar with, which is about, you know, personalization at scale. I think it's a little bit, I think it's overused, but it is, it is certainly where the world is today. And, and the way we're navigating the evolving media landscape is an extremely laser focused, customer centric approach with regard to understanding individual needs of consumers that are either likely to to purchase, have purchased, or we're trying to get to purchase. And, and we're doing that, all of us, myself and the rest of the holding companies, although I think we're doing it a bit better, you know, we're doing that by fully understanding not just the consumer journey, but fully understanding everything that there is to possibly know about the individuals that we are trying to target. We do that through our blue platform, which houses 263 million individual IDs backed by TransUnion. That's the, that's the backbone of that data. And then on top of that, we are bringing in dozens of licensing data feeds from Ibotta and Inscape and you know, dozens of others where we are matching these individuals with, with everything that they possibly do, what they consume, where they go, what they buy, what their basket size is, households, affinities, passions. And through that, we are then able to activate against them and optimize against them. And uh, that's how we're dealing with the, with the new media landscape. So it's an extremely laser-focused, guest-centric, customer-centric approach that enables us to reach, target, engage with individuals at scale and then optimize against outcomes from all of our attribution modeling. And that's the new world that we're living in today. And then you add on top of that uh, um, uh, DCO, dynamic creative optimization, in terms of different types of creatives and, and what's working and what's not working. So now you're not only optimizing against individuals, but against channels and then against creative. It really, it really, really, really is an incredibly exciting time to drive more effective and more efficient business outcomes. And I can't be more excited about where we are today. It's a bit daunting uh, because of the arms race for, for, for data and, and how you use those insights. And everybody has data today. The question is, how do you marry it? How do you use the insights? How does it integrate within your tech stack? And how do you optimize against it? And that's the world that we're living in today. And I think that's where, you know, Horizon has done an incredible job in terms of our platform that we built that, that competes with, you know, all the other holding company platforms. And we're winning business based on it. You know, I think you, you probably know uh, a couple of months ago we won the, you know, I don't know, half a billion dollar Hershey business. And a lot of that was based on our, a bunch of it you know, was, was based on our identity framework platform and how we're able to navigate the new media landscape. Mm, and I'm sure a lot of that is based on helping clients with their first party data, right? Absolutely. Correct. Yeah. It's, I should have said that first. But yeah. <laughs> Correct. Um, so Correct. how, 
How are you thinking about um, as we head into upfront season? Like, there's a lot of testing going on with new currencies. There's a focus on cross-platform. How is Horizon um, navigating this? So let's go back to rewind what I said a, a, a couple of minutes ago. It's all about understanding the individual consumer, what they're consuming and where they're consuming. And obviously that has created a, a shift from you know traditional linear into streaming and connected TV and you know following the consumer in terms of their consumption habits. So you know the you know with the consolidation that's taken place in the industry, you know, you're still going to market and, and doing a deal with, you know, all of NBC Universal, but the dollars are shifting in lots of different places in that upfront process based on the knowledge that we now have about where are the best places to reach these individuals. So that, you know, so that that shift has taken place. I think the sh- the second shift that is that is happening in the upfront um, because of this real-time data that we are able to you know, garner minute by minute and every day, a lot more flexibility needs to be built into the upfront so that we can optimize and make moves and we're not, we're not locked in. So mm-hmm. flexibility is another one. The third, I think, big sea change that is, that is now happening, again, because all of this data is now available and you know what's working and what's not working. I think Horizon has been on the forefront of business outcome guarantees with our media partners where we are no longer, you know, used to used to place hundreds of millions of dollars and you'd get, you know, guaranteed impressions back. Well, you know what? We don't want guaranteed impressions back. We want guaranteed business outcomes back. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to drive a certain amount of people into Burger King restaurants. I want to drive a certain amount of people to get quotes for Geico. I want to drive a certain amount of people to, you know, to buy Peloton. So, with all the data that's available today, we are working very very hard and deep with our partners to structure deals that have guaranteed business outcomes connected to them. So that's a new area where the, you know, where the world is going. So Shift in consumption, flexibility, business outcome guarantees, you know, are all uh, changing the way we go into the upfront marketplace. Right. And I know that the networks are really leaning into this as well, right? Because it's a marketplace issue. It has to be delivered by both sides. How is, um, how would you say the networks are like doing on this front in terms of enabling these types of outcomes? And then how is that changing as consolidation takes place in the landscape? We have Warner Discovery. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I answer that two questions there. First question is, how are they doing? I, I would I would say, and I'm, I'm disappointed about it, I would say we're in the second inning mm-hmm. <laughs> of, a, of a nine inning game. Um, and I'd love to see us be in the top of the seventh right now, not the second inning. I think Horizon is a little further along with mm-hmm. certain groups. But, you know, it's a complex – there's a lot at risk. you got to make sure you have the metrics right. You have to align on what the, what the business outcome KPI is. And you, you've got to have a lot of reliability in the data. Um, but I believe it took us a long time to get to the second inning. We will get to the seventh inning a lot faster. 
And then, and then your second question with regard to the consolidation that has taken place, listen, I, I don't think the consolidation was a good thing at all for marketers uh, because it gave a lot more power to the sellers because there were fewer groups to negotiate with. You know, so in the past, you'd, you'd, you'd have a much more diversified playing field and options to negotiate with. And as consolidation took place, you would have you had less leverage to um, negotiate because there were less players, more players, can, fewer players controlling more of the of the pie on the seller side. However, that opened up opportunity to leverage the scale of the consolidation. So we are working very hard to leverage the power of the assets under the roofs of these companies for the benefits of our clients. So how how do you leverage the power of all of Disney? How do you leverage the power of all of NBC Universal? How are you going to leverage the power now of of Warner and Discovery? And, and just remember, it was just a short time ago that Discovery bought scripts. So how do you leverage the power of Viacom? So where I believe consolidation hurt from a negotiating leverage perspective, and then you add what's happened with media inflation on top of that, where I think consolidation has helped if you do it the right way, is leveraging the scale and the power of these conglomerates on behalf of your individual clients. And how you do that, you know, is different by client. Mm-hmm. But that, that's how we're taking advantage of that. So is it, would you say it's, it's clients are in a more difficult position now, um, you know, as they sort of learn how to work with the networks, but, you know, have fewer negotiating levers? No, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't think clients are in a more difficult position. I think that um, clients who, who have the right partners and, and I'm, you know, I'm talking about agencies like ours have an opportunity actually to take advantage of what's been going on in the marketplace if you do it the right way. Mm. If you don't do it the right way, yeah, you are you are at a disadvantage. And and you know, obviously, you know, we're all seeing yellow flashing lights with with what's going on with inflation, and that's, you know, that's a big concern. But as more impressions move over to OTT and 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 streaming, you know, it's opening up more inventory pods, which hopefully will offset the price increases that are happening on the linear side because of the evaporation of, of traditional, you know, linear TV ratings. And, and, you know, that just shouldn't be a surprise to anybody because when you think about what NBC Universal did with Peacock and what HB, what uh, Warner did with HBO Max and what Disney did with Hulu and what what CBS is now doing with, uh, you know, Paramount Plus and, and, you know, what Warner is, what uh, Discovery is doing with their platform. And then you've got, you know, the Netflixes of the world in the billions of dollars, billions upon billions of, 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 of dollars that were spent trying to get people else in like you to sign up for these streaming services, right? Anybody surprised that linear TV is in decline when, when billions of dollars of, of advertising was focused on trying to get consumers to sign up for the streaming services. That shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Right. But the, but obviously the groups saw the writing on the wall with what was happening 
you know, with the Netflixes of the world. And they realized they had to jump into the streaming game. And that's why they've invested so much money in their own platforms. And now they're, you know, they're, they're so the dollars are moving away from linear, but they're picking them up now on their on their streaming platforms. But right. they they forced that move. They did that. So, you know, everybody talks about changing consumer, you know, consumer behavior or consumer consumption. Well, it all started with the alms race for all these streaming uh, entities by the big platforms that drove consumers away from traditional linear TV. You think so? I think it started with Netflix. And- well, yeah, yes. I mean, obviously, that was the first, yes, the first salvo. But also keep in mind, which is interesting, it's these same companies that are now launching all of these streaming platforms that put Netflix in business in the first place. Right. Right. No, it's an interesting shift. Yep. Yeah. It's, it yeah. Keeps, keeps media agencies on their toes, I think. Um, so, I mean, on that front, what else are clients, what's top of mind for clients? Like, what are you sort of, you know, uh, keeps you up at night in terms of helping your clients? So I think, I think a couple of things. I think, um, you know, if I were, if I were a Samo, and I've always tried to put myself in, in the CEO slot of my clients or CMO position. You know, obviously, they're dealing with inflation on the product side and they're dealing with inflation on the media side. So that's a that would keep that keeps me up at night. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't just pass on those costs to consumers. As you know, inflation right now is out of control here in the yep. U.S. And, and, and it's starting to rise you know, globally significantly as well. I think the the second thing is, you know, this the the, the arms race for data is kind of over. When I say the arms race for data is over, everybody has access to to data, but the arms race for how you integrate that data and how you turn that data into action, actionable insights and act on that data in real time is something that that CMOs are significantly, significantly focused on. And because of that, you got to move really fast. So speed to market is is critical. And I think that keeps CMOs up at night. You've got to be able to pivot. You've got to be able to move quickly. So I think that's that's an area that that is that is critical. And then where is their role in the in the new metaverse and where is their role in web 3.0 and and their position with the nft world and how do they monetize that and how do you integrate into this 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 augmented reality metaverse world and take advantage of it and, and understanding you know where their role is and how they want their brands to behave so to me those those things are front and center in terms of uh you know, what CMOs are thinking about today. Mm. And in terms of the metaverse, like, is that something that you're really starting to, you know, get your hands dirty with at Horizon? Or is it still sort of like in the hype phase testing? No, it's, it's here. It's not in the hype phase. <laughs> and, and I think you're going to see, you know, we're going to see, I think, an explosion of wearable products that will take consumers into the metaverse and, and how, how, Millennials and the next generation uh, choose to actually shop through that <laughs> through that platform. Mm-hmm. How they start to experience, you know, events and 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 tourism and travel. It opens up a whole new world of opportunity, and and 
you know, the other thing, and this goes back to your question about CMOs, is everything today, even though brand is critically important, no doubt about it, but everything today also is creating shoppable experiences. And the metaverse will create a very shoppable experience. So, no, it is we're, – we're, we're, we're starting to make recommendations to our clients. We actually, you know – uh, um, had a really cool strategic meeting the other day with a client. It was all about the metaverse and how they should be leaning in and where there might be opportunities. So it's here. It's not hype. It is, it is here today. And uh, clients, you know, absolutely have to start to focus on, you know, what their position is in that world. It's not going away. Yeah. I mean, to me, it seems like the, the early days of the internet or the app store, right? Like this is a major thing that's coming. We don't know exactly how we're going to navigate it, but it's happening and we need to be in it. Yeah. And you think about how the social, social platforms have morphed to, you know, they're all shoppable experiences today. And originally social platforms were about communication, right? Mm -hmm. Now, Now they're about shoppable moments. Yeah, for sure. So, Given all that's changing right now, like where do you see growth coming from for Horizon and then for the for media agencies in general? So, well, so I see growth coming in a you know in a in a in a, in a bunch of areas. Uh, obviously, in data and technology, even though you know certain clients are, are insourcing that. I think agencies can be critical partners uh, in, in, in terms of data, technology, identity frameworks, which is what I kind of talked about earlier that we're, that we're doing. I think there's huge opportunity in both e-com, uh, and e-com is becoming a much, much bigger piece of what marketers are, are looking at with the, you know, the Walmart platforms and Amazon and Target and Costco and you know, more and more big retailers will be setting up these 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 storefronts. And so e-com is becoming a much bigger play and and how marketers navigate that world and how they optimize in that world and how that integrates, you know, with the rest of their um, full funnel omnichannel planning. We talked about the metaverse, which I think is a big opportunity. I think that um, creating um experiences and experiential is going to come back in a really big way. And whether that's in an augmented world or whether that's in a, you know, in a real world, I think that is going to, going to come back in a big way. Uh, social commerce is also growing from a very large perspective. Uh, and DCO is, you know, a big area of, of opportunity. And, and I don't want to shortchange uh, the whole multicultural arena mm-hmm. either in terms of marketers you know we talk about you know we started out this whole conversation about marketing to individuals and i think marketers continually need to focus on environments that speak to individuals and you know we talk about all kinds of diverse groups and micro segments and macro segments and i think clients can do a better job of of speaking to these diverse groups in, in, in their own environments. And obviously we're shifting a lot more money into diverse environments again, because that's where consumers are and that's where we need to meet them. And that's where we need to engage and, 
and speak with them. So I think that's also a big area of, of opportunity. I don't, I don't think there's any shortage of opportunities. That's good. Yeah. I mean, on the multicultural point, um, a lot of the agencies sort of woke up to this issue last year in terms of creating diverse media investment strategies. How big of a focus is that for you going into the upfront this year and, and just in general? So let me just back up for a minute because I think, you know, we, we have a, a huge multicultural group, one of the largest in the country. And years ago, we embarked on, on a, what we call Project Embrace. And Project Embrace was both meant to be strategic and educational about helping our clients better understand opportunities within diverse communities and how they need to embrace them from a marketing perspective. That's why it's called um, – Project Embrace, and and that has um, the result of that has been a shifting of dollars into more uh, minority targeted, minority owned, multicultural, diverse platforms, which are all you know the, the big conglomerates who we negotiate with in the upfront uh, get a get a nice slice of that pie, but then there are a lot of other you know, the Byron Allen um, properties that that that, uh, you know, some are black, some are, 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 are black owned and some are black targeted. But but, you know, supporting minority owned media is also critically important. You know, you talked about earlier about journalistic support financially. We think it's really important to also support minority owned media mm-hmm. um, uh, and keep keep them uh, alive and, and help them flourish and help them grow because those audiences are very important to us. So there have been a lot of shifts in, 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 in terms of how we're allocating dollars that also affects the, you know, affects the upfront. Now, mm-hmm. again, you talked about consolidation. So some of these groups have a lot of minority targeted properties. So they're still getting the dollars, but they're being allocated differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, and, and it's also about sort of like finding diverse media properties and, you know, funding them in a way that they can compete for client dollars. Right. So. Yeah. I believe that, that, that there's going to be a minority owned upfront this year, which I think yeah. is fantastic. I think it's great. Well, um, any other, any other predictions for the year ahead that you have? Uh, well, I've been, I've been, <laughs> saying for the last three, four months, the only thing that's predictable is unpredictability it's true. In, the, in the world that we're living in. But I think, you know, some of the things that we talked about today, uh, I do think that, that we're going to see the acceleration of uh, social commerce, the metaverse, how clients lean into NFTs. So I think, I think, I think we're going to see more of that. I think that you're going to, to see more unique uh, shoppable experiences and, and hopefully more unique creativity in terms of how marketers engage with consumers. You know, I, I was really intrigued with the Coinbase ad in the, in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, why that was never done before is interesting because QR codes have been around forever. Right. So that was really interesting, very simple execution, but, but really was attention grabbing. Uh, and I, so that, and, and the other thing that I would, that I would like to see, you know, and I don't know, I don't know how we get there, but I think there needs to be a lot more experimentation. When you look at 
you know, where we are today in, in linear TV or, or even in streaming now, you know, the formats of, you know, 20 minutes of content, then three minutes of commercials, then another 15 minutes of content and two minutes of commercials. And, you know, the pods are a little bit different, but, but I'd love to see more experimentation with regard to uh, advertising engagement on a lot mm-hmm. of these platforms. And I think there's a real opportunity there to, to do something different. And I predict we, we probably will see some different ways that, that some of these entities are using their platforms from a, a content programming perspective and advertising integration. Mm. Yeah, well, I think that's needed as well. Um, yeah. Yep. Well, Bill, thank you so much for joining me. It was great to chat. Um, yeah, thanks again. Well, I love the questions. Um, it's Allison, obviously a, a fascinating world that, that you are at front and center. You have a front row seat on it with what you do day in and day out. And I really appreciate you asking me to, to, to join you this morning and give you a little bit of thinking about what's on my mind. So thank you so much. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Campaign Chemistry on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.